There's a reason that we played that song. Uh, because although we're going to be studying David over this next season, we actually don't want you to look at David. We want you to turn your eyes upon Jesus, the greater son of David. And I think we're going to see uh, a lot of stuff in this, this season of the girls through David's life that I believe that God is going to minister to us if we're open to it. And I don't know about you, but I want to become a woman after God's own heart. I want to have a heart that's more like Jesus. And that's the challenge to us. And this is what we've, in your notes today, we've opened up with this question, is that what you're longing for? To become a woman after God's heart. And this new season of Eagles is about exploring the life of David so as to find out how we, like David, might have a heart after God's heart. So we're going to trust him today that he is going to open up his word and he is going to do the work because I can't do it and we're all keeping our eyes fixed on Jesus. Are we in agreement? We want to exalt him. We want to lift up his name. And the first thing I wanted to say, and you'll see it in your notes, is that God sees your heart. God knows you. He knows you through and through. He sees your heart. And as we come to study David, we're going to just read one or two verses from 1 Samuel 13. We're going to see that God saw David's heart when he was a very young child, I believe. Let's just read uh, this, these couple of verses from, well, it's actually just one verse, in 1 Samuel 13, verse 14. This is a word that uh, Samuel brought to, to King Saul because King Saul didn't have a heart after God and he had turned away from God and this was the word that God gave. Here's what uh, Samuel said to Saul. Now your kingdom shall not continue for the Lord has sought for himself a man after his own heart and the Lord has commanded him to be commander over his people because you have not kept what the Lord commanded you. Now, in Acts chapter 7, uh, sorry, verse, chapter, Acts chapter 13, verse 22, uh, it's repeated there where it's written, uh, where God said, I have found David, a man after my own heart, who will do all my will. It's interesting that David was very young at this stage. Now, the theologians reckon that a few chapters later, in chapter 16, where Samuel went and anointed David, that David might only have been at that stage of being anointed, and we're going to talk about that next week, at that stage of being anointed, David might only have been between the age of 8 to 15. So if you go back from that to when this word was spoken out, he was very young. I mean, we don't know how many years it was from this point until he was anointed, but he, he had to be young. And yet the thing that really blessed me was that God saw his heart and God knew him. Now as David got older and as he learned more, he learned this truth for himself. He wrote about it. And we're going to read those few verses that David wrote in Psalm 139. And we're going to see that he was very aware that God knew him. He starts off with, O Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know my sitting down and my rising up. You understand my thought afar off. You comprehend my path and my lying down, and you're acquainted with all my ways. For there is not a word on my tongue 
But behold, O Lord, you know it altogether. You have hedged me behind and before, and you've laid your hand upon me. David understood at some stage along his journey, I don't know how old he was, but he understood that God knew him. And not only did he know all about him and and knew what he was thinking, but he knew him even in the womb. In fact, we're told in Ephesians 1, he's known us from before the foundations of the world. But let's read further down in Psalm 139, where he's, this is what David wrote, For you formed my inward parts, you covered me in my mother's womb. I will praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvellous are your works, and that my soul knows well. My frame, David said, was not hidden from you, when I was made in secret and skillfully wrought in the lowest parts of the earth. Your eyes saw my substance yet being unformed, and in your book they all were written, the days fashioned for me when as yet there were none of them. In other words, when you were in the womb, God saw and he put together, he put you together in the womb. I mean, that's an incredible thought. He knew you from before the foundation of the world, but he saw you in your mother's womb. He actually fashioned you and put you together in the womb, knowing all your parts, knowing how many days you would have, knowing all about you. I mean, that is absolutely a blinding truth that that should really awaken us this morning to think that God knows you. And he knows everything about you. He knows you even in the womb, even if there were things that happened uh, when you were in the womb that affected you. Because we're told, modern day psychologists and psychiatrists tell us that even in the womb, a child is affected. And sometimes we carry hurts and stuff that happens that the enemy will even do in our lives from where in the womb. And God knows all about you right from your beginnings, but he knows all about you as you go through your childhood. He knows whatever traumas hit you. He knows what happened to you. He knows that my mother was killed in a car accident when I was 12. He knows what happened during my teenage years. He knows everything about me and he knows everything about you. He knows everything about your 20s. He knows everything about what happened, how you, if you're married or you're not married. He knows all your disappointments. He knows everything about you. And as we get older, I see Ethel here today. Well done, Ethel, another season of Egals. And you know, Ethel, God knows everything about you, even right up to now and beyond. As we get older, he sees and he knows everything. And David realised this. And David appreciated this. And you know what? God knows all about us. And God loves us. And God wants us to appreciate that he understands. I'll tell you, there's stuff that's happened in your life and stuff that's happened in my life that God knows about. And God knows that it needs to be dealt with. Because sometimes we carry hurts, we carry offences, we carry disappointments, we carry wounds from the past. And that's why Jesus died on the cross, not just to save us and bring us to heaven, but to heal those wounds and those disappointments and to change us. We're going to see today that God is in the business of saving and of transforming lives. And he wants that to happen here this season at Egal's. You see, God has a glorious call on your life. Did you realise that? Do you know that the call of the gospel is a glorious call? Now, when you trust Jesus to be your saviour, you're forgiven of your sins, but you're also made anew. you, You become new in Christ. You are actually born again into the body of Christ. Something, I mean, a miracle happens 
when you trust Jesus. It's not just saying a prayer. It's not just when you, if you really mean it and you're asking and inviting Jesus to come into your heart and to save you and to take up residence in your life, he is going to forgive you your sins when you ask him to forgive you. He is going to come in by his spirit and he's going to live in you but he wants to transform you and he wants to change you so that you become the kind of woman that he has always had in mind for you. And salvation is instantaneous. You get saved the moment you trust Jesus. But transformation is a lifetime process. And I believe that God wants to speed it up on us because we prayed in the prayer room this morning that the body of Christ, by and large, a lot of us are very much asleep. And we're, we're depending on the ticket for heaven. And we're not really, not really awake to the reality that God has a bigger plan for us. And that we're meant to be kingdom women. We're meant to be another breed of woman. And that glorious call of your life. Let me read to you what, God, what Jesus says about the church. I want to read this. It's in Ephesians chapter 5. And here is what it says. That Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her, that he might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of water by the word. Why? That he might present her to himself a glorious church. Do you hear that word, glorious? A glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she should be holy and without blemish. Listen, Christ wants to make us into a glorious people into women who, who know who we are in Christ and that we realise that we have been called to become glorious, to, become, to, to carry God's glory. Now, the church is made up, as you probably know, of all kinds of people, all kinds of broken people. And if you look at the church, you'll see it like a motley crew, really. And I don't know if any of you saw that film that was out uh, months back called The Greatest Showman. Anybody seen it? Put your hand up if you've seen that movie. You know the song in that movie, This Is Me. I believe that there's, it's almost like a picture. If, if you see that, if you haven't seen that movie, it's about a man who, who picked up all kinds of strange people, kind of circus people really, short people and, and women with beards and all kinds of rare things. No women with beards in here this morning, I don't think. Uh, but at least we know how to get rid of them if I have it. And, you know, it's a rare motley crowd. But if you, if you listen to, and I, I jotted down some of the words that's in that song, because in a kind of a strange way, it's almost like a picture of what the church is meant to be. Here, it, it, a woman called Keila Settle sung it, and, and here's what she said. I am brave. I am bruised. I am, meant, I am who I'm meant to be. I know there is a place for us, for we are glorious. And then she goes on to say, another round of bullets hits my skin. Well, far away, for I won't let the shame sink in. We are bursting through the barricades and reaching for the sun. We are warriors. Yes, that's what we have become. I won't let them break me down to dust. I know that there's a place for us, for we are glorious. I am brave, I am bruised, I am who I'm meant to be. This is me. Do you know who you are? Do you know that you're belonging to the glory? You are the part of the glorious bride of Jesus Christ. And he wants 
not, in the, not in the sweet by and by. He doesn't want to transform you when you get to heaven. He wants to transform you now. He wants this process to start now. And he wants you to become that spotless, beautiful, glorious bride who doesn't have any wrinkles. Who wants rid of the wrinkles? <laughs> he wants us. You know, I, whenever I turned 70, my friend, he's very, very optimistic. She prayed that God would even take away the wrinkles. <laughs> and I'd get younger looking. You see, God wants a glorious church. He wants us as women to know who we are, that we can say to our world, this is me, I belong to Christ, I am part of the bride of Christ, and I'm part of the glorious bride. I am glorious, and I'm brave, and I'm a warrior. In the prayer room this morning, somebody prayed about a picture, it's a beautiful picture of the bride of Christ in the Song of Solomon, where it says the bride is awesome, an awesome warrior with banners. And where it reminds us of the armies coming in with the banner over us, who we are, this is who we are. We are, we are the glorious, awesome bride of Christ who is being transformed now and being changed to become more like Jesus, that a world will see a new brand of people on this earth. It's not enough to say a prayer and say you're saved and remain the same. I'm sorry, but that is not what the Bible teaches. When we get saved, we become a new creature. All things pass away, and behold, all things become new. We, we actually are born into a whole new DNA. It's very interesting. I've gone back a bit. I'm talking about David this morning, but I've had to go back a little bit to the Garden of Eden. And bear with me if you think I'm, I'm going off target, but I believe this is so important that we get this, that, that we realise that there's a glorious, glorious call of God on our lives. And that, it is a pro- that transformation is a progressive journey of faith and discovery. And if you're the same as you were last year, then you're not where God wants you to be. Because it's a progressive pushing on, becoming more like him, becoming more changed, having a greater revelation in our heart to understand more of what this glorious call is. And to keep in step with, with, with the Lord and to allow him to work on these little dark areas in our hearts because we've all got them. There's still little pockets of darkness because salvation is instantaneous, but transformation is God takes his time. And here was David, and he was going to, although he was called uh, to be king, he, he wasn't going to be king right away. He was going to have to be changed. God was going to have to do a work in his heart over many, many years to transform him and to change him, that he would be prepared for the call in his life to sit on the throne. And God wants us to be willing to keep in step with him uh, like David was and to grow. You see, before David was born, God knew that the highs and the lows of David's life. And believe you me, although David had a heart after God, he wasn't perfect. And we'll see that as we go through his life. But God knew those highs and those lows. And you see, God knew that David would sit on the throne of Israel, that he would rule the kingdom of Israel. But I want you to... If you've been a wee bit, a wee bit of a phase there that you're blocked out, just sit up a wee bit now because this is really important. All right, <laughs> so just tune in again because here's what I want to say, and this is really, really important. David was going to rule the kingdom of Israel. God knew that, but God also knew that through the son of David, the greater son of David, that Jesus Christ was going to sit on His kingdom and have a whole new kingdom. And we were called to be part 
of the kingdom of God. And God knew that his only beloved son, the promised Messiah, would one day be called the son of David. Isn't that awesome? That God knew that and had that in place. That's why we need to understand that salvation brings us into a place of forgiveness of sins. Yes, we have a ticket for heaven. We are going to heaven because we're saved by grace, not of our own works, but because of what Jesus has done for us on the cross. He died on the cross. He paid for your sins. He took your sins in his own body on the tree. Your sins have been dealt with. But that's only part of the gospel. The other part of the gospel is that you're called to be transformed. That you are called to become woman of another kingdom. And you need to understand that God is calling you into this glorious life. It's very interesting, and I'm going back, just dipping back to, well, no, I'll leave that, I'll leave a minute or two, I'll go back to Eden in a minute or two. You see, the thing is that God wants you this morning not to turn away from this call. I believe many of you have, have the call is the call of God. The call of God is John 3, 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only beloved son that whosoever believes in him shall have everlasting life. That's our salvation. But the call of God is more than that. It is that we would be transformed. If you read in, um, if you read in, in Romans, you would see that we are called to, to be transformed, not to be conformed to this world, but to be transformed by the renewing of our mind. We are called to a different kind of life. We are called to be transformed into who God wants us to be and he wants this transformation to start right now. He wants us to, to experience this new creation and he wants us to, uh, to, to go on with God and to experience being transformed to be woman of another kingdom. Now I read a book when I was away there on holidays and I'm going to quote something from it in a moment. But it's a book called Revolution of Character by Dallas Willard and Don Simpson. It's based on another book called Renovation of the Heart that was written many years ago. But in this book, it said a few things that I really loved. It said that we were created, listen to this, we were created to have a divine life. In the Garden of Eden, when Adam was created and Eve was taken out of his side, remember? Remember how God did that operation on Adam and took Eve out of his side? That's a picture of Jesus Christ, how his bride, Eve was the bride of Adam, and she came into being out of his side. She had the same DNA as Adam. Jesus died on the cross, and remember they put the pierced his side, and out of his death, out of his wounded side, we, the bride of Christ, have come into being. Beautiful picture from from. Uh, from Genesis and out of that place we are now because of the work of Calvary Jesus has redeemed us has brought us back because in the garden if you remember because they, they rebelled against God and remember in the garden of Eden they, they took of the fruit of the, of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil and they, they, they lost the glory that God had created them to have and because of that you'll remember that they were put out of the garden. But initially, this is the thing you've got to get, initially they were created to carry God's presence, to carry the glory of God. I want to read you a couple of verses just to prove what I'm saying. 
and, and the, our salvation is to restore what was lost in the Garden of Eden. It says in Genesis chapter 1, God said, let us make man, that's the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and let us make man in our image, according to our likeness. And let man have dominion over the fish of the sea and the birds of the, of the air and over the cattle and over all the earth, over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God made us in his image. From the beginning, you were meant to be an image bearer, someone who would carry the image of God to the world. And you were meant to have dominion. You were meant to rule. Adam and Eve were created, those first few chapters in Genesis, and the last few chapters in, the, in, the, in Revelation are the only time where there was no sin on the earth. When God created Adam and Eve, there was no sin. They were perfectly made. And I believe, personally, that if they had, if they had chosen the tree of life in the garden, and I said, if they'd taken from the tree of life instead of the tree that God told them not to touch, if they'd been obedient, they would have remained in that perfect state. They would have had the tree of life and they would have remained in that perfect, but they didn't. And when they disobeyed God, their, their whole image of mankind, that glory that they were built to carry was marred and they became sinful creatures. And if, if at that stage they'd taken the tree of life, they would have lived forever as sinful creatures. And God had to put them out of the garden that that wouldn't happen. But here's the thing, God has created all of us to carry this glory. It goes on to say in verse 27 of Genesis 1. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Then God blessed them and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth and subdue it. Have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. They were meant to rule on the earth. The original species that God made, the man and the woman, were to carry the glory of God. And we see this in, 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 in Psalm chapter 8 as well, where David had an understanding of this because he actually wrote in Psalm, 20, in Psalm 8, let me read this to you, where David said, When I consider the heavens, the work of your fingers, and the moon and the stars which you have ordained, what is man that you are mindful of him, and the son of man that you visit him? For you have made him a little lower than the angels, or a little lower than God, the original translation says, and you have crowned him with glory and honour, and you have made him to have dominion over the works of your hands, and you have put all things under his feet. Originally, the man and the woman were supposed to carry and show off the glory of God. They had a glory about them. They had a look about them. They were sinless people. But because of disobedience, their whole image was marred and that has fallen on the rest of the human race and we this world the people in this world are marred by sin did you ever notice anyone who really has got into a sinful life did you ever notice it begins to begin to actually take a look a, 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 a look about somebody that sometimes you would just know they're living a hard life see sin makes us smart sin degrades us Sin mars us. That's why God hates sin. And that's why he wants us to be transformed because there has to be, this world has to see a new breed of people standing up and actually looking different and talking different and speaking different and hearing different 
and acting different. This word has to see a transformed people because that is how God is going to win this world. That is how the bride of Christ is going to make herself ready. And we are kingdom people, ladies. And there's a call on us, not, not just for salvation, that's the starting point, but the call is for more light to come in and for us to be changed and transformed. And I know that that is not always an easy thing. But here's the thing, God wants us to change. And listen, here's the, here's, I read this over the summer with fresh understanding. And I want, to, I want you to really hear this. God has not just called you for salvation. But God has called you to become, listen, to become a partaker of the divine nature. That, say a big word to that. Imagine that we are called to become a partaker of the divine nature. That's why this book that I was reading says that we were created for a divine life. God's plan has not changed. He has always wanted the people who would love him and walk with him and share with him and reign with him. He is always one of the people who would show off his glory and the people who would trust him and, and live holy lives that would, that would show off the image, that would be image bearers of who God is. That's the call. It's a massive call, isn't it? Massive, massive Wonderful, beautiful call. This book said, this is why we were created. This is because we are created for a divine life. And here's what he says. When we open the writings of the New Testament, we discover that we are called to live in the awareness of another world. I want you to get this. That you and I become aware that there's another world. Another kingdom. The kingdom of God is here. It's not fully here yet. But the kingdom of God is already here in every believer. Everyone who owns that Jesus Christ is Lord and Saviour and King of their lives, they are kingdom people. And that kingdom is in this world. And we're another world of people. We're, we're a different breed. We're a different race. We are called to live in the awareness of another world, to join in the kingdom of God and to participate in the divine nature. God wants us to be transformed to show who he is to a world. And the reason we can do it is because, remember I was saying how Eve was taken out of the side of Adam and had the same DNA as Adam? Did you ever think of that before? She was part of him. When you get saved and you get a new, salvation means you get a new nature, you're born again, the spirit of Christ comes into you. Do you know the spirit of Christ is in you and you have, spiritually speaking, the same DNA as Jesus? He's the head of the church and you're the bride of the church. You're the, you're the church. You're the bride of Christ. And we need to know that he has given us all we need. We have, spiritually speaking, we have all we need. We have the DNA of Christ. He, he can empower us to do it. But listen, girls, it's not always that easy. I understand that because inside all of us, there are ingrained sin patterns. We all lived our life. We were brought up. I don't know at what stage you came to know Jesus. I was quite young. I was only eight when I trusted Jesus. But we've all got patterns that started from very early on. Oh. Sinful patterns that are very, very ingrained in us. And a lot of the stuff that we react to, and this is a lot of this I owe to Dallas Waller's book, how a lot of the things we do are spontaneous. So if your nose is to say scratch it, you know, there's a lot of things you don't even think about, you just do. You react to certain situations in certain ways, because you always did. 
And you don't even think it's sinful. Because you always act that way, because it's ingrained into you. But that's the nature that God wants to change. He wants us to be more aware of. The Bible says that our hearts are, are desperately wicked. And, and because of that sin nature that's in us, we also have the sin nature alongside the new DNA, the new nature, the spirit of Christ dwells within us. So we have a choice that we can, we could continue in that old sinful pattern and we could just go on and never really change much. And a lot of people do that. But God wants us to waken up to this call that actually far more for you than what you've ever realised. And I want to call you up to be woman, kingdom woman, that the world will look at and see Jesus and be transformed. And they'll be, and you will be transformed, but you will see others being transformed because of what you're carrying and who you're showing off. Are you all with me? Yeah. I have written in your notes, notes, your notes, we are going to see that God's heart has always been for a people to be his image bearers who would walk with him and be fruitful and have dominion over the earth to rule. Eve was taken from Adam's side and therefore the same had the same DNA as Adam. If they had obeyed God, they would, have, they would have not lost their true calling, but through their sin, we all became this fallen and marred race of people. From the moment that they turned away from God and sinned, spiritual death came in, and so did physical death. Now the spiritual death was instantaneous. It tells us in Ephesians chapter 2 that we were all dead. So the spiritual, immediately they died spiritually because of sin. But physical death came in, it was going to be like a gradual erosion, and so their lifespan was shortened. And if you notice in the Old Testament, it was a gradual thing that they lived longer in Genesis because they were newly new, new create, newly created and they lived longer lives but because of sin and the ongoing their lives, our lives have been cut down and now they have much shorter lives than what they would have had in the book of Genesis but sin brings death sin changes even the way we look and when we try to cover up and hide our sin you know God sees it and eventually we can hide it for a certain length of time, but eventually it will begin to show even our, in our appearance and the way we talk, because sin destroys all that's good. And God wants, he really wants us to be free women who can begin to change, begin this transformation. I want to read uh, just a couple of things out of this book about the transformation. It says here, I believe one reason so many people fail to immerse themselves in the life that we have described is that they might be faithful to their church and really have uh, know Jesus Christ as their only hope. But because of what's presented in the New Testament, uh, because they feel they can't, because they fail again and again, Here's what it says, instead of inspiring people, it makes them feel hopeless. Have you ever felt that you've tried to change and actually you just keep failing? Put your hand up if that's ever experienced you. Because I can tell you that's what I've experienced. And I think an awful lot of people are actually very discouraged that they can't somehow, you know, that we preach this glorious walk with God, we preach this transformation and the renewing of our mind, and yet somehow we don't actually know, we just keep failing about it, and then we get discouraged, and then we think, I could never live like that. But, and in this book it says, it isn't always true that where there is a will, there is a way. 
sometimes we really want to do it, but we, we don't know how to do it. And, and as I read through this book, I was really, really encouraged because here's what it says. When it comes to transforming human nature, we also need an understanding of the depth of our problem and how Christ works to redeem each element of our nature. Jesus invites us to leave our burdensome ways of heavy labour, especially our religious one. And he wants us to step into the yoke of training with him. His is the way of gentleness and loneliness, a way of soul rest. His is a way of inner transformation in which carrying our burden with him is easy and light. What we thought was so difficult about entering fully into the divine life is entirely due to our failure to understand and take the small steps that quietly but surely lead to our transformation. And this book goes on to say that a lot of stuff goes on underneath the surface in our hearts that we don't even know. Our heart is so, our flesh, our own nature is so wicked and so anti, so away from the way that God thinks that actually we do a lot of things spontaneously and we don't even think about them. And God wants us to be open to say, Lord, will you show me the things that you want to change? And I'm not suggesting that all of us go home and we all start looking for all these bad things in ourselves. I don't think that would be healthy. But I believe that God wants us to say, Lord, would you show me something this week? that you would like me to change. And I believe the Lord will bring something to mind, an attitude, and one step at a time that you could say, Lord, would you help me that instead of having that spontaneous reaction and doing it that way, would you help me that every time I catch myself doing that, that I might actually say, Lord, would you just help me to do it your way? And just one thing, to allow the Holy Spirit to help you to change the one thing that he shows you that he wants to deal with. And if you take those small steps, you know what's going to happen? Over a period of time, you're going to be transformed. And you're going to become that woman that, that people look at and say, she's different, she's a different breed than we are. The, the world's going to look on and recognise, what kind of people are these? And the people, the world is going to see Christ in you, which is what? The hope of glory. And that is why what we need to carry. And that is the kind of woman that God is calling us to be. Now, I want to read a couple of other things from this book as well. Because it says here... There's not much in this book. I hardly know what to, um, to read. It's so important that our aim is not, first of all, to act differently but that we would become different in our inner being. Now, what's the difference? It's possible for us to put on an act, isn't it? I'm going to do this and I'm going to act differently from now on. Do you know what? That's going to be failure straight off. Straight off, because you've been doing it in your own strength. And you're going to try to act in a different way. That's not what God's saying. He says that he wants you to ask him to change us, that we might become different that we might become women who have a heart after God, who are being changed into the likeness of Christ. Women who carry his glory, and when people look at us, they see Jesus in us. And, and there's something about seeing Jesus. If we, Jesus himself said, if I be lifted up, what? I will draw all men unto you. Jesus wants us to become different. 
Here's what it says. Now listen to this again. If you've had a wee sleep, just waking up. <laughs> We're not just learning how to be nicer versions of our own selves, right? So we're not asking you to be nicer, a nicer version of yourself, right? We are dealing radically with the fundamental wrongness of human life left to itself. And we're introducing the kingdom of righteousness that is Christ into the depth of our hearts. It's the inner life that counts. That is where profound transformation must occur. The Apostle Paul wrote that when we persevere in the revolution of our character, placing our hope in Christ alone, we won't be disappointed because God has poured out his love into our hearts by the Holy Spirit whom he has given to us. It is the love of God flowing through us, not our human attempts at behavioural change. Listen, God wants to do something. I know it. I know that he wants to do something in this season that is so deep. And I tell you, I don't want another season like last. Last, Thank the Lord for last season. But I don't, that's not enough for this season. We need to be fundamentally transformed and changed. And listen, the amount of women in this room and the amount of churches that are represented in this room today, I can tell you that we can make an impact in Northern Ireland, if not all of Ireland, if we start to live like this. If you start to live like this in your church and in your community, you're going to see change, not just in your own heart, but you're going to see change of the people around you. And that's what God wants. And it's time for us to, if we haven't already taken this on board, it's time for us to realise this transformation must, must go. This writer says that transformation is possible because our inner being is an orderly realm where even in the disorder of its brokenness, God has provided a methodical path of recovery. In other words, God can methodically show you the things a step at a time that he wants you to deal with. Now, it's not going to happen, all, it's not happen overnight. David was called, uh, God called him to sit on the throne and be the, the king of the kingdom of Israel. He was only a child, but he wasn't going to be ready overnight. He was going to have to go through a lot. You're going to see that. You get saved, you're going to heaven, but it's going to take time for you to, to change some of those habits. And... We're not bringing condemnation because Jesus says that he didn't come to condemn the world, he came to save the world. And so he loves you and he's not, we don't preach condemnation, but we want to say to you that if you ask the Lord to show you the things that he wants to change, he will bring things up and he will show you the little things and step by step in an orderly way, you can begin to see the methodical path of recovery. Here's what it says in this book, grace does not rule out method, nor method grace. Grace thrives on method and method thrives on grace. God can give you the grace and he'll show you little things that he wants, little reactions. Somebody says a bad word about you, the old reaction might well be, that's your old reaction. Maybe he'll convict you and he'll say, why not just choose to bless that person? Why not choose to pray God's blessing on that person? That might be something that he brings to your mind, your attitude towards others. It might be something else. It might be your attitude towards finances where you're holding on. Or you're, it could be your attitude towards worry. You could be worrying your head off about stuff. And God said, but, you know, cast your cares upon me. You know, don't worry about anything. He wants you to, he wants you to realize that he takes care of even the, the birds that fly in the air and they don't get worried. 
It might, be, it might be any kind of thing that God wants to reveal to you. But if you ask him to show you the things in a methodical way, I believe at this season as we start with that, he is going to do a work of grace in your life. And he knows how to do it because, do you know what? If we were to try and be transformed overnight, it would kill us because there's that much wrong with us. <laughs> we couldn't cope with it. But God will show us a little at a time and little by little he will change us. And so we see that David had this call in his life and his heart was, even at that young age, he had a heart after God and God nurtured that and God taught him through the failures and through the times that he got things right, he became a man after God's heart. And here's the thing, God's plan of redemption has always been to buy back what was lost. God's plan of salvation has always been that we would be a people who loved him, who were one with him, the bride of Christ who loves him, and his plan has always been that we would reign with him. And so at the end of the Bible, and we're going to just finish with this in a moment or two, at the end of the Bible, we've talked about the beginning of the Bible where we saw the fall and the, 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 how humanity became defaced and marred and and broken and, and we've seen that even back in Genesis that God promised that he would send a Messiah who would, who would cross the serpent under his foot. We saw that God's promise was there right in the beginning of Genesis and if we go right through the Bible we will see the trace of redemption and God's plan for Messiah to come because God keeps his promises and Jesus came through the line of David and he came right through to Revelation and we see the last couple of verses in Revelation we see that God Finally, do you notice, did you ever notice this? At the first couple of chapters in Genesis before man sinned, there was no such thing as sin on the earth. And the last two chapters in Revelation where the bride has come into, into her place beside Christ, the last two chapters where we are redeemed and we are with God, our sins have been wiped away. There's no such thing as sin in the last two chapters of Revelation. And it tells us, uh, it actually tells us that we uh, have been redeemed by his blood so that out of every tribe and tongue and people and nation that God would make us kings and priests to our God and we would reign with God on the earth. That's the plan. Revelation 5 verses 9 and 10. And if you flip over to the last couple of verses in Revelation, where it happens, are you still all with me? Yeah. It's interesting that the, the last chapter in the book of Revelation, it says, He showed me a pure river of water of life, clear as crystal, proceeding from the throne of God and of the Lamb. In the middle of the street and on either side of the river was the tree of life. Where did we hear, first hear about the tree of life? Genesis, whereabouts? The Garden of Eden. This is a restored Eden. God's plan has always been for us to dwell with him. This is him restoring. Redemption is to restore Eden, to bring back. And you, you see nearly everything that was in the Garden of Eden. You see it here. It's restored. You see that the, there was a river flowing through Eden, if you remember, if you read through Genesis. There's a tree of life. Uh, and there's no more curse here. The curse has been, the curse happened in Eden. No more curse is restored. And you see here the bride. 
you look down at the chapter, you see the bride. And the bride is in agreement with the Holy Spirit. The Spirit and the bride say, come. It's very interesting here that when we look at how God is going to restore everything that was lost, right? All that happened, his original plan, God doesn't change, his purposes don't change. His original plan was for a people who would love him, who would be with him, and we see that picture in Eden. But it all went badly wrong. But you know what? God's in the business of turning around when things have happened for bad, and he's able to turn them around. And in the last couple of chapters, you see the bride of Christ, you see, you see the, the, the tree of life, and you see the river flowing through for refreshment, and the tree of life, it says, yielding, uh, which bore 12 fruits, each, each tree yielding its fruit every month, and the leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations, should be no more curse, Eden is restored. And further down it says in verse 16, and with this I'm going to finish. I, Jesus, have sent my angel to testify to you these things in the churches. Now listen to this phrase. This is Jesus speaking. I am the root and the offspring of David, the bright and morning star. Isn't it amazing that God's call on David's life, yes, that he would become the king in an earthly kingdom, the kingdom of Israel, but really the picture is of God's greater son, Jesus coming down through the lineage, the generation of David, and he is going to sit on his throne in his kingdom, and he comes from the root and the offspring of David. And here we are today, we're beginning a new series of looking at the life of David. Next week, we're going to look at how David was anointed. Believe you me, this is wonderful when you look at the anointing of David, and how when we trust Jesus, all of us receive an anointing. Not just a few of us, but at the moment of salvation, you receive an anointing. We're going to look at that next week, and there's so much stuff for next week. I am so excited about it. But I believe that the beginning of this year, it is about being stretched. It is about being willing to say, you know what, Lord, I don't want to stay the way I am. Do you want to stay the way you are? I don't want, I know that's why you're here, because your heart's the same as mine. You want to be changed, and you want to become that woman of God who is transformed, who is actually becoming a partaker of the divine nature. We've had a great summer. We're so thankful to have been able to rest and I'm hoping that all of you had a good summer. But you know what? I am believing that this next season that God is going to do something in us that is going to lead us into a greater greatness. Into a place where we will see miracles happening we will see prayer. You know, when we come into alignment with God, when you start to think and partake of his nature, and you start to think like him, and you start to hear what heaven is saying, and you start to agree with what heaven says, you are going to see prayers answered in a way that you haven't before. Because you know what? Our own nature, half time we're praying for stuff that's not even God's, not God's mind at all. God wants a people who are going to be one with him, in agreement with him, and that what we hear him saying, we're going to say, Lord, let it be on earth as it is in heaven, and we're going to call that stuff down, and we're going to see things happening. And I believe that the church needs to waken up. We have preached far too long a cheap salvation of you get saved and you're going to heaven and you can live whatever way you like. That is not what the Bible teaches. God's calling us to be a separate people, to be a people who will actually look like Jesus on this earth. 
carrying his presence and see his kingdom come. What a glorious call. What a glorious bride. That's who we are. This is me. This is you. We are a glorious bride. And you know what? He's getting rid of the wrinkles. Let him do it. Let him transform you. Let him change you to become more like him and to show forth his glory to this lost world. Because I tell you, it's getting blacker and darker out there. And as the darkness comes over this earth, the Church of Christ must rise up and must show a different breed of people to this world or we will not fulfill the commission that Christ gave to the Church. We are called to be witnesses for him. There's a call in our lives and the Church, listen, globally, I believe that across this planet already that there are people who are waking up, but listen, it needs to happen here with us. Are you up for it? Let's believe for God to take us further. Let's believe that we will have hearts that become more and more like God's heart. Father, I thank you that you have brought all of us here today. I thank you, Lord, for the power that we felt in that prayer meeting today. I thank you for the answers to prayer, Lord, even over the summer. I thank you, Lord, that, that this is a new season, and I thank you it's not going to be the same as last year or the year before or the year before that. Lord, we're looking for the new thing to spring forth because you're a God of new new things. You're the God of new brightness and new colours, as Marion said. Thank you for what's happened, Lord, with Marion uh, up there in Armagh. We pray, God, that she will continue to see mighty things happening in Armagh. God, we want to stand together for all the churches represented here, that we will see something new springing up within our churches. Lord, if it happens with us, it will be infectious. It will begin to uh, make a difference in other people's lives. We just pray, oh God, that you would help us as we sing this last song to really sing, Lord, and give you praise and thankful, Lord, that we are so thankful that we belong to you. We praise you in Jesus' name. We're going to sing a song. It's William's favourite song. Every time he hears a song, he does a wee dance. And it's a happy song. It's called Oh Happy Day. And we're going to sing it because you know what? It was a happy day. The day that you chose Jesus it was a very happy day. And God means it to change your life. Sorry if I've gone a wee bit late. We're trusting that as we sing this, that the Lord will really bless you in Jesus' name.